Okay, here we are, another edition of the Dave and Amber podcast. Today, we are going to talk about insulin therapy because both Amber and I are type 1 diabetics, so the only way we can treat ourselves is with insulin. Yeah, and so just for if you're a new listener and you do not live with diabetes, the difference, well, I say this loosely and you can, Dave, chime in, type 1, people living with type 1 diabetes have to administer insulin in order to survive because our pancreas does not make it. There is type 2 diabetes, which is insulin resistance, but they can also be insulin dependent. Anything you want to add to that? And I'm not a medical professional. I'm saying layman's, layman's terms. That's what goes down. Yeah, but no, but you're, you're right. I mean, basically for you and I, our pancreas has decided to quit. <laughs> so, you know, either, either we have to pump the insulin into our body or we have to inject it into our body. It's the only two ways. But, or inhale it. No, no. Yeah, I was just going to say there is it, an it's a third <laughs> And then you're right with for type twos. Yes, there are type twos that also must have insulin. So, you know, with, I think the best way we should maybe we should go about this is to kind of talk about like the difference between my therapy and yours, because you're, you're on multiple daily injection. Correct. So, you know, you're taking a long acting insulin and then you're supplementing that with short acting insulin. Correct. And let's just throw in the medical terms. Cause I didn't know this until about five or six years ago. And I've had type one diabetes for 38 years. Basal insulin, <laughs> long acting, bolus is short acting. So there's your cliff notes. Yeah, exactly. Well, the you know, it's funny that you say that because I think there's a, a lot of misconceptions outside of diabetes. All insulins are not the same. They're very similar. You know, let, let me say that. But there are, I think today, I might be wrong. I think there's five or six long acting insulins. And I believe there are three to four short acting So, because we've got Novolog, Umalog, Apidra, and then there's yes. a Fresha, which is inhaled. It's also short acting. But what about Fias? Oh, yeah. Forgot about that one. Thank you. So that's five, right? That's five, right. It's five right there. And, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening out there who wonder, you know, insulin's been around for 100 years. We started out with pig insulin, then we went to human insulin, and now we're on what's called analog insulin which is just the way they're formulated. Uh, let's not get real technical or into the weeds there. Neither one of us, well, you might know, but yeah. So, but we, we do have what's called biosimilar. And again, let's define some terms here. There's a branded product, a biosimilar basically is the same formulation. I think the easiest way for a listener to understand this, you go into Walgreens, you can buy Tylenol or you can buy it by the store brand. It's the same damn thing. Right. <laughs> so formulated exactly the same way. And we're not even going to get into the debate about insulin costs today because that's, that's all like good. 17 podcasts. Yeah, that, total. That, so why don't, why don't we start with, you know, tell everybody kind of about what your day is like. How did you figure out what was a trial and error to figure out how much you needed? Give people a little taste of that. Okay, nutshell, because it's been decades that I've lived with this disease. In the very beginning, I took cloudy and clear, which was NPH and regular. I gave a shot before breakfast and a shot before dinner. So you mix the two in one syringe. Easy breezy, but there was no carb counting. I didn't really follow an exchange. And I will say the fact that I lived through all of those years is amazing. There were a lot of errors in that, you know, I started to drink alcohol or I did other things. And because that insulin sits in your system for a long time, there were a lot of hypos and some crazy stuff that went down. Well, you know, let, let's stop for a second because you mentioned something that I, I want the listeners to pick up on this. When you're a diabetic, most of us who are are trained to count carbs. Right. Okay. Because carbs break down the sugars. So right. that's why. And, and no one likes carbs correctly. 
<laughs> yeah, it's carb guessing, but, and no, no disrespect to my medical community at that time. It was what we knew. And, you know, I was diagnosed in 1984, fast forward to the year, I think it was 2002 or 2003. And I switched from that regimen, which was very common at the time to long, long acting and short acting. So I switched to Lantus and to Novolog. Total game changer. I'm using a syringe or a pen, I forgot. At that point, I was a syringe. But no, Lantus, I think, only came in pens. Yeah, almost done. I want to say, too, as a person living with diabetes, and I, you can call me whatever you want, stubborn, <laughs> but I was so pissed. I had more freedom with that in the new insulin regimen, but I had to then count carbs, and I, had, I was up to four shots a day. So I'm kind of like, this sucks. <laughs> But I immediately dropped like 20 pounds. I felt better. There were so many other positive things that went with it that it was great. Now I use Traceba and Novolog. Okay. And again, let's just qualify for our listening audience. Traceba is a long-acting insulin and Novolog is a short-acting insulin, both made by Nova Nordics. Right. And again, to clarify for our listeners, when you are injecting, you have basically two choices. You can use an old-fashioned syringe, okay? Yay. Yay. And, or you could use what's called an insulin pen. And for those, you know, anybody who's seen one, it, it's kind of like uh, they're, they're disposable. They're 90% of the pen users are disposable. And so it's already pre-filled with insulin. And you just kind of screw on a, a needle. When you dial it up and give the number of units that you want to use. And maybe you should tell people, because I, my standing joke was before I was on a pump, I was on MDI, was that we stick ourselves so many times, we're going to leak. But then the needles are not harpoons. Not anymore. Yeah. So, you know, I think, again, I remember when I first diagnosed, I was on same therapy you were, MDI. And I believe I was on Lantus at night and Novolog during the day. And I quickly <laughs> learned that carb counting was, was one wild-ass guess. <laughs> I want to say one thing to that because I didn't really answer the question appropriately. So I told you the types of insulins that I've been on and that I'm on. But when you ask me what a day looks like, I'm going to say this because you're going into what your MDI therapy was, but I get up at like 5.45 a.m. and give my traceba. Then I usually go back to sleep. If my blood sugar is high, I may give a few units of short-acting just to level me out so that when I get up for breakfast and I'm ready to carb count, my blood sugar will be at a level that I want it to be, which is usually 110. Then throughout the day, like you were talking about carb guessing, I don't give another shot unless I eat something that has carbs. And let's just be honest, not only are we carb guessing, but you don't, you know, if you, we factor in proteins, we think about hormones, we think about dehydration. So there are a lot of other factors there when you're coming up with this weird equation as to how many units to give. So hit or miss. Yeah, you know, I think the, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I think one of the funniest graphics I ever saw, it said living with type 1 diabetes is a daily science experiment, yeah. which, you know, again, for our listeners, when you're on insulin, there's a lot of things you got to think about, okay? And in the beginning, you know, I don't know about you, for me, it was pretty intimidating because we talked about time to action, which basically means you inject your insulin, how long does it take to work? You know, then we had duration of action. Okay, once it's working, how long does it work for? You know, and and then we had insulin on board. You know, how much do you have in your body? You know, so it really was for somebody like me, I'm not a math major. <laughs> I live an active life. You know, it, it was, and you have to think about things that like, I always say this, when someone, when you and I go into a restaurant, everything we, every 
thing we put in our mouth we think about. Yeah. You know, how does it affect our diabetes? What do we have to, you know, do something? You know, it's not like, you know, a normal person goes into a restaurant, they might think about it from a calorie perspective, but like, you know, I used to live in Chicago and, you know, deep dish pizza was a three-day event for me. <laughs> you know, I love the pizza, but that, you talk about the ultimate in the carb fest. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, tell them what kind of it. So you are. So now, yeah, I pump my insulin in my body. I wear the name of the product is called the Omnipod, and there are other insulin pumps as well. The reason I chose Omnipod was pretty simple. There's no wires. You know, it's a disposable product. I basically fill it with insulin every three days, slap it on my arm, hit a button, and I'm up and running. And then I repeat that cycle every three days. I feel like you need to say like bada boom, bada bing. It's on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. Well, you know, when you're an insulin pump patient, your life is, because I remember when I transitioned. Now, this is way before the days of continuous glucose monitors. You know, this is when, you know, you were, you had to literally stick yourself like 10 times a day to see, to calibrate your pump. Yeah. You know, today it's a snap because we have continuous monitors. Those monitors constantly measure your glucose and record everything for you. You know, you could sit down with a certified diabetes educator. And he or she can say, well, based on your levels, here's how we should program your pump. Because unlike you, I don't take a long acting. I have insulin delivered into my body on a continuous basis. So for me, that was, you know, I remember when I started, my doctor said, you take 40 units of lentils every night, <laughs> you know, and then, you know, he said, if you're guessing on your short acting, take five with every meal, you know, that, that you know, that's kind of how it was. Right. And so, you know, converting to pumping, you know, I will say I will never go back. I like being wireless. Well, let me say something too, because for the person who's listening who does not have diabetes, so when he says wireless, it's well, let's, there's two things there. One, you're t it's tubeless because it's a tube, it, but it looks like a wire. It looks like you have a cell phone headphone attached to you. So, and there's only one company that does not have the tubing. So Insulet is the first, and that's where they created the Omnipod. And think about the pump as kind of like an IV drip. It's a constant flow. You program it, and you dose as necessary, but it's a, a drip into your body. It kind of looks, and I don't know, you know, I don't know the age range of everybody who's listening. It almost looks like what I call an old-fashioned pager. Oh, yeah. Okay, so to give our listeners a little bit of history here, Medtronic owns a company called uh, Minimed, and they were one of the first to come out with uh, insulin pump therapy. When and not too many people know this, but at the time, pagers were this state-of-the-art technology, and so that's how they designed their insulin pump to look like a pager. I didn't know that. Yes, and then when Tandem's another company that sells insulin pumps, when they came to market, people were just getting into iPhones, so they designed their pump to operate like an iPhone. So if you look at the two systems side by side today and all the different iterations that they go through, it is kind of stunning that the tandem pump, you know, is really, is, I don't want to say more modern looking, but it's more iPhone-like, Apple-like. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, but, you know, for those for those of you out there listening who don't have diabetes, those of us who are on insulin, we get pretty cranky sometimes because we got a lot of stuff we had to deal with. And... Never take offense to that is <laughs> the best advice I could give. <laughs> There's going to be a whole other episode about how to judge our level of crankiness. Is it diabetes related? Because I'm 98% sure that it is, you know, 
Yeah. And I, I think when, especially when you're on insulin therapy, and again, there's, you know, there, I divide insulin users and there's, there's like you and I are pretty intensive insulin users. We're really, we're really into it. We understand it. We're down with it. There are other people that I would say are casual insulin users. You know, they're taking maybe just long acting and supplementing that with oral medications. You know, there are other users that I know and, you know, no doctor will, I mean, they will admit this because I've talked to millions of them. You know, they will, they will basically dumb down insulin therapy for a patient, you know, saying, okay, you know, based on what you're telling me about your life, I'm going to, you're going to take 20 units of this every night, five units of that with every meal. And that may or may not be right, but they also know that there are a lot of people who aren't going to be like you and I, who are into it. And so they're just, they're making it simple. I will say something on that really quick, because I was always, I've been compliant my whole life. I don't like the word, but when my doctor told me to do something, it was how it was going to be done. So I followed the rules. If I wanted to live, I was going to follow the rules. Nobody gave me the freedom to play around with my own diabetes management. And it really wasn't until the past, since starting the Diabetes Daily Grind and having this level of connectivity with people living with diabetes, did I ever really experiment? And I will say, hashtag walking science experiment, I have learned more about this disease through trial and error. And I, even though we're diagnosed with the same disease, our management is very different. I'm saying the patient needs to make the decisions there. You know, you, you bring up an interesting point because you are so right in that over the last, oh my God, 20 years, I have seen an explosion of, especially with social media, all the new apps that are out there, the explosion, the information explosion. I mean, literally everybody's carrying around a cell phone or a mobile phone, smartphone, whatever. It's a computer. Yeah. And you're right. I think a lot of people, especially insulin users, are taking a more proactive role in their diabetes management. And they're not necessarily, you're right, they're not necessarily. And that's another thing for people who don't have diabetes. We're not, sometimes we do have to take matters into our own hands because we know our bodies so well. And it's okay if they, if somebody with diabetes does that. It's Diabetes is not, you know, I always tell people diabetes is not like a broken arm. You know, it's not like you break your arm, you put a put it in the cast, take an x-ray, you know when you're healed. You know, your diabetes changes over time. When you're young, it's one way. You know, when you're older, it's another way. And it, it's a constantly evolving thing. And, I, and, and when you look at, think about your own life. I mean, it's like all the stuff you go through your life. Yes. And so, you know, for a lot of our listeners who don't have connected to somebody who's an insulin user, again, and, and this is, these are, there's a lot of stuff that goes on with insulin. You know, there's a lot of insulin users that don't want to, I mean, do you shoot in public? I do. But I, let me say that I didn't in the beginning and I really didn't have to because if I was doing it before breakfast or dinner, I was probably going to be in the restroom or whatever. And I would get up for meetings in my twenties. But then finally I was like, this is a lot, this is a burden for me. And so now I usually say, and especially if it's in a professional setting, I'm going to give it a shot of insulin. And if you feel uncomfortable with syringes, please don't look, or I will gladly get up from the table. So it kind of just puts it on the table and gives me the freedom to not have to think about it. Well, you know, and, and quite honestly, you're not alone there. I, you know, I have a good friend of mine, type one. He does not like, I mean, even when he's at home, yeah, he'll go into the bathroom and take his injection. And I, again, diabetes is not, you know, we're not contagious. You know, if you touch me or you touch you, you know, you don't get diabetes. Right. But a lot of patients who have diabetes almost live with the stigma. They, you know, they don't want people to know that, oh my God, I'm on insulin. Yeah. And, Although it has become, I don't know, you know about you, but I know like when I go out now and go to different places, I've noticed that a lot of these, I think it was syringe containers. Yeah, you know, they have you know the disposable needle thing. Yeah, 
I, I think Costco was the first one I noticed that had that. You know, so it is becoming acceptable is the wrong word. But I mean, there's over 30 million patients with diabetes in the United States. It's not like it's uncommon. Right. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, that's, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, for all of, for everybody out there, diabetes, especially when you're on insulin, it is a roller coaster ride because there are so many things that we cannot control. You know, we can't control our level of stress. We try, but we can't. You know, I don't know about you. I'm impacted by weather. Oh, yeah. Hormones are shit show. Yeah, I'm a triathlete. So when I train, I have to think about that. It's so funny because I was thinking back when I was on MDI, like you are, you know, like, oh my God, I remember once I was in a restaurant and I took my insulin and then my food came in. It was, they, they made it wrong. Yeah. And so I would, you know, Deb was still alive. My wife was still alive back then. She was like freaking out because like, oh my God, you already took your insulin. And so those things happen, you know, you just got to deal with it. You know, I was always one that, I mean, like, and I kind of am like this today, unless I'm eating it from home and preparing my own meals. I don't give insulin until I sit at the table and that I know that my food is going to be in front of me. So I know if it's right, you know what I mean? Like, cause I, in my mind, I've already carb counted and dosed in my mind what I'm going to do. So I don't leave it to chance, especially at restaurants. I wait till the, the plate is in front of me. And I'll explain one more thing, a big difference between what Amber does and what I do. I don't think you've ever had a syringe failure or a pen no. failure, <laughs> but an insulin pump is a medical device. They do fail. It happens. Yes, they, they undergo a rigorous process when they're manufactured and you know through the FDA and all that stuff. But hey, it is a machine and machines do break down. And no, like I don't know about you, like, but when I travel, uh, my pods last for three days. And so I always pack extras because, you know, let's say I'm going on a uh, five-day trip and I have to change my pod during my trip. Well, I'm going to bring two extras just in case the one I put on fails. Yeah. And it's no disrespect to, you know, the people at Insulate because, I mean, they're not normal, but it does happen. Right. You know, and it's kind of like when you're on a tube pump, okay, you know, what I call a wired pump, a tube pump. There are other kinds of failure. You know, there's there's what they call an inclusion when your cannula, the the tube that sticks in your body where the insulin is, it gets bent somehow. We're getting technical. Those are big words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's just say it gets screwed up. <laughs> so, uh, but again, and these are the things that like our lives are a little bit more complex because of that. But it doesn't mean that we can't manage it. And I think, I think if I, if I could give advice to any non-diabetic who is with somebody who is insulin dependent, like we are, is you kind of just kind of go with the flow because excuse the expression, shit happens. And there's a lot of things we cannot control. And as, as try as we might, and you know, you hear all of these things. Yes, there are. And we will talk about this in another episode. You know, the difference between a, a hypoglycemic event, which is when your blood sugars drop. Yes, it can be a life-threatening event. However, you know, you have to decide, you know, we'll explain later what, what is and what isn't life-threatening. Of course, if I'm on the floor, you know, okay, that's life-threatening. But, and I think that, I mean, I don't know about you, my, I'm very casual about my diabetes in terms of I've had it for so long. I understand my body pretty well. I kind of realize, okay, I'm going to have bad days. Yeah. You know, where I'm, you know, running too high or running too low, whatever. And you know, even though my kids who are, you know, they don't have diabetes, touched by it, they understand all of this. Dad's having a good day or a bad day. And I think that's, and the one thing that my children have learned with me is not to bother dad about it. 
they, they might ask me, why are you cranky today, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> crankier but, than usual crankier yeah, than crankier usual. Than normal dad you know but you know i do i think insulin therapy it's great therapy it is however the most it is a daily science experiment and one that can kill you i mean it's like if you give too much if you don't give enough yeah it's it's scary it can be scary it can be scary but again if everybody keeps things in perspective you know and we haven't even touched upon it and we'll probably do this in another podcast but like if you're if you're with somebody who's type one like us, and um, you know a lot of people carry around extra stuff in their in the purse or whatever, you know, because they carry around like emergency glucagon. That's basically an injection that boosts your blood sugar. We're to- blowing their minds right now with all this. Don't be telling them that kind of stuff. You well, keep your skittles. You no, know, you're right though. It is. It, 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 I think that's why a lot of people that don't have diabetes sometimes freak a little bit. Because these are all the things that we, you and I, we take for granted. You know, we've had it for so long and, you know, it's like, okay, why do I have candy bars in every room of my house? You know, like. Well, and I think that one of the things too, that you just brought up for people not living with diabetes, I want to throw it to the people living with diabetes that are listening to this. If you don't share with your loved ones and people that are touched by this disease that you're having a bad day and what does that actually mean? They're never going to understand. And not that they have to get it, but. That's the greatest advice ever. And I agree with you. So we're going to end on that note because that's the best note to end on because if you don't communicate with your friends, your family members, your coworkers, whatever, your partner, they won't know. And they can help you if they know what to do. Correct. Don't be afraid to you know, tell them. You're right about that. I agree 100%.